0: Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Hello, Stacey, good afternoon. Where's this podcast find you?
1: I am in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
0: Awesome. So you are with Wistia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Wistia and your role there.
1: Yeah, Wistia is a video hosting platform uh, that helps B2B businesses market their videos and podcasts. And I am the Director of Customer Happiness at Wistia. So that means I lead our support team of just under 20 people, um, which includes our 12 customer champions who are our frontline reps, three senior support specialists, and two managers.
0: Oh, very cool. And- Paint a picture for us on sort of when and why you first got into the support career path and what, what drew you to it.
1: Yeah. So after spending two years teaching English in Seoul, South Korea, after I graduated college, I returned to Seattle to look for a job. My original career aspiration was to work in user research or market research at a video game company. Uh, so I was really excited to land a position as a customer support rep at Big Fish Games in Seattle in 2008. Um, I ended up moving into a team lead role uh, after about a year and I quickly realized that it combined the most rewarding aspects of teaching uh, with the opportunity to regularly tackle new interesting problems, which is one of the things that I found um, made me realize I didn't necessarily want to be a teacher for my whole career because uh, teaching the same subjects over and over again um, in two years, I was like, "Uh, I don't know if I'm cut out for that, Um, but I got to do the most rewarding parts of that job in a little bit more fast-paced environment.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, it's always fascinating to me when people start down one path, realize that there are transferable skills, I guess, is the sort of official name for it. But there are pieces of that path that you pick up and that, that really hold value to you. And you can pivot and use those elsewhere in sort of really accelerated, very interesting ways. Um, So it's, I have found anyway over my career that a surprising number of customer facing and sort of revenue producing um, people come from an education background. I mean, marketing effectively is education in a lot of ways and customer support also is, right? So it's interesting to hear you say that. and, And oddly enough, I don't think it's that uncommon of a path, but very cool. So we are here to talk about support automation and... Thinking about how that concept is something that I think a lot of the world, when they hear, it could be everything from, you know, the the sort of automated support line you call your cable company, all the way to something more invisible to the customer, but a lot of back end process automation type things. So when you hear the phrase support automation, what does that mean to you?
1: it means a lot of things to your point, right? Uh, There's a whole spectrum. Um, But for me, it's thinking of ways we can leverage uh, technology, data that's at our disposal uh, in order to make essentially a better customer experience. Um, I think that that should be the goal, right? That this is to create a better customer experience, um, whether that's to automate some processes that don't have to be done manually by humans, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or automate processes where when it's done by people there's a lot of room for error which can cause customer facing issues or uh, degradation of the, the the reporting um so those are the, the that's what i think of
0: yeah it's interesting because to your point even if it's not a directly customer facing issue it can still manifest itself to the customer and you know a distracted team could lead to a frustrated customer and getting all the processes in place such that you minimize those interruptions and disruptions as much as possible is is paramount when we were going back and forth a little bit before the show one thing that you said in the little conversation starter we sent over that i thought was really interesting and i would love to hear you kind of double click on this is that some people may find the word automation scary Um, would love it if you could maybe double click on that and dive into it a little bit more?
1: Sure. Um, I think there are a couple of different facets that when people think support automation, um, they find it scary. I think one is they, they associate it with the lack of personalization, mm-hmm. which I don't think is true. Um, but I think that that, especially a lot of support leaders, good support leaders, right, um, want to have a good personal customer experience. And so support ob- automation can a lot of times come with sort of this assumption that it means that, oh, there's a lack of humanity or lack of personalization. And so I think that that is one element where it's scary. I think another element that's kind of scary is, um, oftentimes when you might go to a website for a product that is, um, uh, around some sort of form of automation, a lot of times the, the volume that you need to pass through, um, to take full effect of said automation um, can be scary. Like, well, we don't have 30,000 tickets a month that would data points going through every month. So how can we take advantage of this? Um, so I think that's another aspect that makes it a little scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that, you know, a little bit related to the personalization front, I think that the people have this assumption that it's going to take away the the need for a support rep. Right. But also that's not entirely true, right? Um, nobody really likes r- writing into support for those sort of uh, things that could be handled by automation. And most support reps would rather spend their time working on chunkier, more interesting problems to solve.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you bring up the, does you describe chunkier, in- interesting problems? There is a certain level of deep work that, is required of good support teams for some of the most high value stuff they do whether that's supporting a key client or even you know think of an hr team inside of an organization like they're they're also you know bde support as it as it as it sometimes is known as is something that you get a lot of gains to actually have that focused block of time and really have your best people working on their best problems what is the approach to adopting automation that you guys at uh wistia have taken
1: yeah i think uh our approach we actually were kind of put to the test um when the pandemic hit right because a lot of businesses who were using some video started using lots or all video yep and then more bandwidth being consumed so we had in one week to the next in April, we had a 50% increase in tickets. Wow. Um, So we didn't suddenly have 50% more people. So we had to really ramp up some of our use of automation. Um, You know, we had the autoresponder, but we hadn't um, tailored the autoresponder based on keywords or subject lines. Mm -hmm. So, or the uh, reply to email address. So we, uh, turned on some specific autoresponders for our product Soapbox, Um, because more and more people were using Soapbox than before, because a lot of teachers were starting to use Soapbox because it enabled them to record their webcam, but also record their screen. So a lot of them were delivering virtual lessons via Soapbox. Um, So overnight, we had a bunch more Soapbox tickets. So we created a specific autoresponder uh, to tickets that mentioned the word Soapbox, where we're were sent to soapbox at com. And so we were able to, you know, kind of first contact resolution, increase our first contact resolution, um, or not even have to touch those tickets because a lot of them were able to be answered by the specific autoresponders. And that is not something we had really leveraged. We did the same thing with billing specific emails. Hmm. And we um, did the same thing with uh, some of our, like uh, one about uploading and encoding um, tickets because those are a very specific subset of troubleshooting steps we can provide. So, uh, we were able to handle the volume, get, uh, into like a new sort of normal. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like one of the big uses. We also, uh, leveraged software even before this to auto tag our conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was super helpful, um, and it was just nice to twofold, right? Because the tickets were getting tagged as soon as they came in, not when the rep answered them. Uh, we could pull some reporting on what was the makeup of all the tickets currently in the inbox, not just uh, doing sort of reporting, looking into the past. So we could get a snapshot of, okay. What are all the tags for the conversations currently in the inbox, Uh, which we couldn't really do before we were using um, software to tag the tickets as they were coming in?
0: Yeah, what you're describing here is an additional need for automation and maybe even some, I don't want to call it uh, pain or inconvenience, but there's an impetus to adopt these technologies. And it was driven by a very good thing, which is a rapid increase in the amount of growth and usage you guys had around these specific products, uh, which is awesome, right? Um, A follow-up to that that came to mind was as a leader, do you think it was easier or harder to rally your team around adopting these practices, given that the reason they were occurring wasn't because of some sort of failure, but because you guys hit this, you know, perfect product market, like once in a generation product market fit opportunity and and we're there to capture it, it, it's a champagne problem, right?
1: I think that, you know, they knew that we had a very, like a real problem that we needed to solve pretty quickly. Um, I think we were very transparent with the team as to why we were doing this, gave them as much detail as possible as to how it was going to work. I think that because we weren't just like closing out tickets and we weren't just you know, saying, we're not going to help you. We wanted, and I think because the, the intention was, mm-hmm. they understood the intention. Hey, we have a backlog. If we're going to provide them, you know, maybe 20%, 30% of the folks who write us with an answer right off the bat, they don't have to wait. They get their problem solved. Um, it's a good customer experience. And even the folks who may still need our help, we've given them a little more context and maybe they can try something, tell us they've tried it, write back and say, hey, I tried that, it doesn't work. That's still more information than we had. So I think it felt good for our customer champions because they had the context for why we were doing this. They understood why it was a good customer experience for the situation. So yeah, and we had already used sort of a bit of automation for tagging tickets in the past already. So it wasn't completely brand new to introduce automation. We already had some workflows too that had some, automated elements to them. So it wasn't completely brand new. Mm
0: -hmm. That leads me to, and you touched on it a little bit there. If you could give advice to another support leader facing a similar opportunity that that you did with the increase in volume here, if you could give them one piece of advice on getting buy-in from the team on adopting some sort of automation, what would it be?
1: I think it's the same advice I would maybe give for a lot of situations. And I think it's transparency, right? I think it's very clear the why and sort of the benefit both to the customer and to our team, right? And the business. Um, I think that's how you get buy-in, right? And Mm -hmm. I think also giving a sort of a feedback loop so especially if it's new, be like, hey, we're putting in this process, it's, you know, this automation, um, it's new for us. So if you are getting feedback from customers that it's not working how we think it is, or maybe there's some sort of unintended side effect that we didn't consider, right. making sure that the the folks on your team have a way to give the feedback on what might not be working and letting them know that like, hey, a lot of times it might take some adjustment. Um, So being open, making sure the team knows that we're open to making adjustments and being adaptable.
0: Unrelated to support automation, I'm gonna go off my script just a little bit here because I'm really interested in the people on your team. You're the director of customer happiness. You have customer champions. These are very strong words to describe the people in charge of maintaining customer relationships, which implies Wistia is a very customer-focused organization. Full disclosure, in a prior life, I was a customer of of Wistia's at at an old gig. Is that intentional, the org chart having these types of, of roles on it?
1: Yeah. Um, So sort of the team being called customer happiness and the individuals on our team being customer champions, um, that is something that Chris and Brandon, our founders, Hmm. came up with, right? So it has been from day one. And so it is very intentional. Um, We want our customers, our job is to help our customers be successful at their jobs, right? Right. As video marketers or marketers, right? Um, So I think it is. We are very intentional in calling our team that and our customer champions that because yeah, our job is to help these folks be the best they can be at their job.
0: That's awesome. Switching gears here a little bit. If you were to think about the future of customer support and what the future of automation within customer support looks like. What excites you the most about it?
1: Um, I think what excites me the most is that there is room for automation using machine learning um, across basically all facets of the support, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's conversation quality, right? There's some elements there. Um improving the accuracy of your reporting because you're tracking sentiment or um, tagging tickets more accurately, uh, using automation software that helps you build reporting out of like, that's easy to use and easy to customize and easy to iterate on. Um, I just think there's so many opportunities. Um, I really geek out about support software. And so I am really excited by how many more players there are coming into the space because I think competition is good. Mm -hmm. And I think every day, not every day, but fairly often there's a new tool that I'm made aware of that I'm like, Oh wow, somebody's made something that does this. Oh, this would have been really awesome 10 years ago when I started managing support teams, but I'm really glad it's here now.
0: Right. And it's also interesting too, how in my role in, in marketing, a lot of similar stuff is, is, is happening, right? Where you have everything from single tools that accomplish a specific thing to help sort of unclog a, a process somewhere. And then you have broader platforms, you know, your HubSpots and, and Marketos and the like, adopting more and more stuff to, to, to build a, a, a better overall experience. And I find anyway, in my job that our customer success team. And when the reporting and the data is flowing freely through there, I can look at that as well and think of, oh, clearly these campaigns, messages, et cetera, are resonating more than the others. This is what people really like. We should lean into this. Maybe we should try to address something over here. And you really get that symbiotic relationship between sort of pre-sales and post-sales operations when you have good data and and good processes. And automation really helps that to kind of what we were talking about earlier. Looking ahead, and while we're still in this sort of future, future forward way of thinking here, what do you think is the big challenge that support leaders such as yourself are going to face as automation finds its way further into what we're doing?
1: Ooh, that is a good question. I think what's going to happen is it will no longer be this thing that forward-looking think like leaders are doing, right? So everybody's going to be using either software or figuring out ways to uh, automate because there's not going to really be an option not to. So mm-hmm. I think that um, that to me will be sort of a challenge. Is that? you have to get on board because the train is going. Right, and, um, and I think the other thing is there are, like I said, there are a lot of competitors or players in the space. And so really figuring out, okay, what do I need for my team, for like our company, our product? Um, and I think that that is the challenge today and it will be, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, as there's more players in the space, they have different use cases. Just like today, right? There's different, support platforms you have you know zendesk dixa customer Mm fresh desk and a lot of them have similar features some of them are very different and you just have to decide which is best for your organization not just for today but for like two three years down the road so hopefully you don't have to make that big switch um and so i think that if you're not really kind of familiar with the space or what you need out of an automation tool or platform, then I think that's going to be a major challenge for leaders.
0: Mm. So I'm going to piggyback off that. And when you were talking, one thing that kind of came to mind just recently, I had a escalated issue with my internet provider at home. And it was a esoteric issue as, as only you can happen with your cable company. But Eventually, I had to, had to call them and call and got to an, uh, talk to an agent. And while she was doing other things, we were just making small talk. And I had, I had a wonderful conversation with this person. And we shared stories of the last year being stuck in the house. And it, it was a real nice moment of connection. And while I really appreciated that, it would also have been nice to kind of get the issue resolved before I had to had to call. But it's funny because as just a consumer myself, I, while you're talking, I was like, wow, I wonder if there will be a point eventually where those kind of random interactions with a pleasant support rep on the phone don't happen quite as much because more of these problems are getting solved you know, via AI upfront or, or whatever it is. The other thing you touched on that I thought was really interesting and I wanted to have you expand on it if you could, was you, you're talking about looking at the different platforms and the different tools out there. And if you could give one piece of advice to a support leader who's shopping for some piece of technology somewhere in their support stack, what would it be?
1: That's a really good question. So I think it's kind of like a two-parter. So if it's going from some tool you're already using and considering making a change, mm-hmm there's a huge cost to making that change, not monetarily, although there is, but like organizationally to either getting it wrong or making a change and it doesn't actually deliver um, Mm -hmm. to the extent. So is the thing you're going to move to, is it going to be enough of a, a shift or improvement so that the cost or the perceived cost, right, of making that change kind of overshadows or diminishes the actual uh, gains you got from making the change. Um, So I think that that's like, if you're moving from something you're already using to something different, Um, if it's something new, I think getting, it's related, right, it's still about getting value. But I think it's also like, taking on new software also has, is a different kind of cost, right? You Mm -hmm. have to admin it. um, You have to make sure it integrates with all the systems you use. So I think uh, long-term thinking is pretty important when you're making these. That's the one piece of advice is like, okay, yes, today, this is the thing that makes the most sense for us, but is it going to be the thing that makes the most sense for us in one or two really, or three years. Um, and it doesn't have to be like the product on day one has to do those things, but you right. have to have confidence that it's going to grow with you. Because I think that that is the biggest problem is like, okay, today, this is a really good product for us. But if we feel like our support team is moving in this direction, is that product also moving in the same direction with us? And I think that that, it, to me, is like the biggest thing. Because uh, you, if those paths are divergent the delta in between where you're going and where they're going is going to continue to uh, get wider and wider and wider until you're with a, working with a product that no longer serves you.
0: Yes, exactly. It's interesting in business, we make some of the same mistakes that we make as everyday consumers, where you sort of get distracted by not distracted, but you get enamored with whatever the new hot thing is. You, 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 you buy it, use it for a week, you know, whatever it is and then it just becomes like SaaS waste inside your organization just like a I don't know an app you download on your phone or or a kitchen gadget I guess is the ultimate example reminds me I have a pressure cooker in my cabinet that I got for my wedding 11 years ago that I don't think has left the. Left the box, <laughs> Stacy. This has been a great conversation, and and quite frankly, I could chit chat with you all day. Next time, there's we do big business travel again. If we're at a trade show, we should we should we should see each other out and chat a little bit more. But to close out the show today, I want to do a quick fire round, and I've got four questions. They'll call them the famous four, the fabulous four. I'll have to work on the branding of this. But what's the book you most often recommend to people? could be fiction or nonfiction.
1: Ooh, uh, probably Crucial Conversations.
0: That's a good one. What is the single best productivity tip or hack that you have ever used?
1: I think uh, writing down my accomplishments. It might seem weird, but like updating your resume is something that takes a <laughs> lot of trouble. Um, and so not only for a resume, but for reviews, yes. you know, every company you work for has reviews and your personal evaluation takes so much time or even mm-hmm. your employee evaluation. So like keeping track of those success, the things you did, uh, so you don't have to spend, um, let's not N- label how many hours. Uh, going <laughs> back through your Slack
0: and trying or to figure your it all emails
1: out. to try to figure it all out. So I think that um, it's something that's going to happen in every single job you're in. Yep. Um, and there's multiple sort of use cases like imp- you know performance reviews, updating your resume, um, being interviewed for a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's. I'm going to give a shout out to a uh, SaaS tool that we use here at Capacity, Capacity uh, Lattice. We use them for performance reviews and all that all that kind of stuff and it is very nice to go when it comes time for year reviews or 360 reviews or whatever your organization calls them to just have all your documentation there and being sort of corralled into keeping all that along the along the way so that's a that's a very good one if you could recommend one site newsletter slack community LinkedIn group whatever it is for a support leader to get better at what they do? What would it be?
1: Uh, I think the support-driven Slack community, Mm. hands down.
0: It's an awesome one. Yeah. It's a very, very good one. They are, as a person who is sort of on the other side of the support conversation as a a marketer and selling into that group, they are incredible. And as you just look at the conversation inside of it, it's really good too. They are, I agree 100%. They're easy to recommend. If you could go meet for coffee or lunch or maybe a happy hour with one person in the world of support who would it be
1: it would be camille ac she is the global head of customer experience at humio
0: and why is that is there what about what is humio doing that you find so interesting
1: it's uh you know a global support org they have folks uh, uh you know in various different locations, but um mm-hmm. uh, she, as a support leader is someone I greatly admire. She is not afraid to tackle like hard subjects when it comes to um, diversity, equity, and inclusion mm. yes. um, she tries to elevate folks and shares her knowledge and I think that you know that's one of the reasons why you know something like support driven or the folks who I've met in the support community um are Really good about sharing what they know and learning from other people, and so I think that she is um, an exemplary sort of person when it comes to that.
0: That's awesome, and you can't work in a field with the word support in it if you're not going to support others in in the field. So that's uh, hats off to. To, to everybody who pays it forward in this business because lord knows we we, we need it um, stacy thank you so much for your time thank you for your insight um, i encourage anyone listening who wants to expand their use of video in their marketing or get into video with their marketing to to look up wistia it's a fantastic platform and if you are ever to have an issue with the platform, you're going to be working with a world-class team. So again, Stacey, thank you so much for joining us and we'll catch up soon.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit Capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find this show by searching for support automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.